You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 97. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are going to talk about the pros and cons of a Googled PMO. You know what I'm talking about. It's so tempting to Google everything these days, and we're going to explore how you can use Google to help you with your PMO building and running and improving, and how a good thing can actually become pretty dangerous if you're not careful. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by my free masterclass, The Game-Changing Steps to Get You from Zero to Impact with Your PMO in 90 Days. Whether this is your first PMO, your fifth PMO, you're trying to up-level your PMO, or you're trying to get your PMO back on track, you want to ensure that your PMO is as high impact as possible and as quickly as possible. The patience of our stakeholders is probably thinner than it's ever been. And so you don't have months and months or years to get PMO capability that's not just available to people, but actually accelerating getting to that return on investment. If you need to build or up-level your PMO capability, this is the perfect training for you. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. Can't wait to see you there. Okay, let's dive in. Now, before we go into all the pros and cons of using Google to build your PMO, I first wanna take you back a few years. Well, a few more than a few. Back in 1999, I was in an organization that was in the heat of the dot-com insanity. We were building e-commerce solutions for brick and mortar stores. And I was there as a senior project manager And as we grew and took on more work, one thing that our leadership team was noticing is that it was really hard to stay on top of the entire portfolio of initiatives we were doing in an industry where things were literally changing day by day. We were on the leading and sometimes bleeding edge of what was happening in the e-commerce space back in the late 90s. And the business leader said, you know what? We really need to put some structure around all of these projects we're running so that we can start getting better, more consistently high impact results for our clients. And so I was tapped on the shoulder to set up what I now know was my first PMO. But back then in the late 90s, I didn't really know what I was building was a PMO. Now it has all the look and feel of what we would consider PMO services and capabilities today. We were building out a standard workflow and process for starting client engagements, running them through all of the phases of the project lifecycle that made sense in this hurry up and get it done before you've even started kind of mindset and environment. And we had a portfolio of projects. We had a portfolio view that was needed to govern and provide oversight for these projects. And we had a bunch of project managers that were all making magic happen. So I was asked to set all of this up. And if 1999, Laura, was here in 2021, set up with the same challenge, I probably would have started with Google. Back then, you couldn't just Google how to set up a PMO and get six to seven million results like you can today. 
Have you tried to Google PMO? You get 61 million results in 0.53 seconds, by the way, which is just insane. And it's interesting because if you scroll through what you see there, you got to get past the ads and things like that. But then you'll see a lot of different definitions for what a PMO actually should be. Everyone seems to have their opinion. So I probably would have gone there first, but I didn't have that option. Back in the late 90s, you know, the internet was still becoming mainstream and we didn't have all of this enormous body of information that we have now thanks to the internet and of course, Google and a ton of other search engines. So I had to figure out things the hard way. I had to actually figure out what my business leaders needed, what my stakeholders needed and solve those problems. Now I would argue I probably was actually at a better advantage than somebody is today. Because information is so easy to get to, now we often pull up our phone or our web browser and type in how to do this or how to do that in Google the minute we've got a question. And I'm totally guilty of this, especially with my son's advanced algebra that he needs to do. I am always looking up how to solve those problems so I can help him. And math was my strong suit. So going back to 1999, before my son was even a twinkle in my eye, we didn't have the kind of information that we now take for granted to do things like project management and PMOs. Now, there were plenty of books out there, and eventually in my career later on, there were more courses, but not having access to this enormous quantity of information that we have today, I do believe I was better off, and here's why. Because I actually had to ask my stakeholders what they needed, and then go solve that problem. Now, if you're familiar with my Impact Engine PMO training or all of the free training programs that I offer online or this podcast, you know that I'm constantly telling you that you should always starting with your stakeholders and your business leaders and asking questions and probing and discovering their pain points and the opportunities and then figuring out how to solve the things they recognize as problems, the things they want before you solve the things they need. And my concern is that nowadays, because it's so easy for us to get the information ourselves simply by Googling what we wanna solve, I'm concerned we're not having enough of the right conversations to actually dig into the real reason they want you there in the first place, the real reason they need a PMO and the real problems that they need solved. You see, after building my first PMO, which I did, Without the help of a search engine or really books or courses or anything, I started to learn that what I was doing was building a PMO. And over time, as I got another chance in another company and again and again and again, I started to really understand what I was building was a PMO. And sometimes it was a project management office. Sometimes it was a program management office. Sometimes it also was more of shared services because it included operational activities and That's about the time I started reading more books and I was able to find things on the internet about PMOs and I took more courses. And the more information that I took in, the good and the bad started to show itself. The good news was I had a lot of different perspectives and ideas and insights as to what I could do with my PMO. The bad news was it was pretty conflicting and the more I put into practice what the experts told me that I should do with my PMO, the more resistance I actually hit in the organization. 
You see, a lot of the information that was out there, and it's not so bad now as it was then, was very academic. It was written by or taught by people that really didn't have a ton of practical hands-on experience in PMOs. They were much more interested in telling you what the perfect scenario should look like and how, frankly, you were a failure if you weren't doing all 643 things they said you should be doing with your PMO. And the reality of the situations that I was in were very different than what the theorists told me the perfect PMO would look like. You see, anytime I got a little too sure of myself that I knew the medicine that my organization needed to take with the PMO, you know, based on all the books and the courses that really confirmed the conviction of the perfect PMO, the more resistance I hit from my stakeholders, the more challenges we ran into, and the less successful we were. And it wasn't because my stakeholders didn't want the PMO there. That's why I kept getting recruited to different organizations. That's the problem they wanted solved. The problem was that the kind of PMO that they wanted, that they were begging for, was not really in alignment with the perfect world that these books were telling me should be the foundation of a PMO. And I'm sure you've seen some of this. In fact, I did a whole podcast episode on PMO types. There's a lot of information out there, whether it was from the books and the resources back then, or in the results you see if you Google how to set up a PMO. I found countless articles on PMO types, and they said, well, pretty much all PMOs follow into one of these few categories. Or they would list a set of services that were the must-haves if your PMO was supposed to be a real PMO. And that's the thing with what you will come across now as a PMO leader. If you try to Google how to set up a PMO, you're going to get so much conflicting information that if you even tried to implement a fraction of it, you would end up with so many headaches, so much frustration, and some really upset stakeholders as well. Because you'd be spending a lot of time running in different directions trying to solve all the things that all of the different resources on Google are telling you you should do. And I think there's a much simpler way to go about setting up a PMO than trying to Google your way there. And Google is just one example. I've had people reach out to me all the time and they'll say, what's the book you would recommend to set up my PMO? And I'll say, well, I've read tons of books that are out there about setting up a PMO and I don't think you're going to get very far just on a book. You see, a book could only go so deep in telling you what you need to do that you might have the high level understanding of a framework but you're not going to have the step-by-step-by-step-by-step process that you need to really understand, not to mention the lack of resources and guides and templates and other content that you would have to actually have to set up a PMO. In fact, that is the entire reason that I've really been struggling with the book that I want to write, because I feel like there's no book that could possibly do enough without being so heavy, you would have to use a moving cart just to carry it around. So here's the real danger. You set up a PMO using a bunch of hodgepodge resources that you tape and super glue together from one website and another, one free guide and the next, and you hope for the best. And really the best you can hope for is that you might get one or two things right, but are you building something that's actually going to be sustainable? Are you building an organization or are you shoving services at people? Are you changing the way projects are delivered in the organization or are you super gluing together a bunch of templates 
and process that you have pulled together from 16 different sources all over the internet. So let's go back to that types example, just to give you a little flavor of what I'm talking about. If you Google PMO types, you'll see a lot of things like, okay, generally PMOs fall into one of three categories, supportive, controlling, and directive. Now, if you read those descriptions, those are really just behaviors. They're not necessarily the definition or how I would describe a PMO. You see, I describe a PMO as an impact engine that's responsible for driving the highest possible return on investment for the organization's strategy. And if you look at the definitions of supportive, controlling, and directive, that's just describing your personality type in a certain situation, at least if you ask me. Sometimes you need to be supportive. Sometimes you might need to be controlling. And other times you might need to be directive. But if you tried to be any of those things all of the time, you're going to get your stakeholders running in the other direction. For example, controlling. Who wants to be controlled by somebody else and have a bunch of templates and process and tools shoved at them all the time? That's not fun. And what about directive? If you're running around bossy all the time and telling everyone what to do without ever being supportive, then you're probably going to hit a lot of resistance there as well. And supportive. Does that mean that you just kind of are there to catch someone when they fall, but then you couldn't possibly actually ever have any authority to drive real change? I don't think so. So that's the thing. You can see all over the internet an example like the different types of a PMO. If you were to use that as your guide because you saw it in three or four or 20,000 different places, then you might actually shortchange yourself and your PMO's ability to make a real impact. You see, you can do the same thing looking at the kinds of services. You can have somebody tell you, well, these are the basic services a PMO should do, and that's it. And you may find that your organization doesn't actually want any of those services. You might know that they're needed, but here's the secret. If you don't give your stakeholders and your business leaders that brought you there what they want, if you don't solve what they want solved first, you won't get the chance to solve what they need, the underlying fundamental improvements that they really quote unquote, should have in order to optimize, streamline, and get greater outcomes for other projects. Oh, by the way, where's that on the internet? Where's anyone talking about the fact that instead of shoving more templates and process at people, maybe we should figure out how to remove steps from an overgrown process. Maybe we should figure out how to streamline the work that people are doing instead of adding to it. We should be looking at ways to optimize and to make the project delivery process as streamlined as possible so that we can achieve the outcomes and the overall return on investment for the projects as fast as possible. That's really what the PMO can do. And frankly, that's probably what your business leaders are really looking for, but they may or may not know how to articulate that. And so there we go back to Google, trying to figure out what it is they really want. Instead, I'd suggest that we ask better questions. We must assess the organization for impact opportunities, not assess the organization for all the things they're doing wrong and all the things we want to fix to make them the perfect organization run by the perfect PMO with 564 services and 328 templates and so many different tools that people are exhausted just thinking about it. And by the way, most of the resources that I Googled didn't mention anything about actually doing a real assessment with your stakeholders. They talked about investigating process, looking at methodologies, looking at templates, looking at tools, 
But there really wasn't a whole lot out there that taught you how to talk to your business leaders and to your stakeholders and not just analyze the situation, but actually have real human to human conversations, digging into the pain they're experiencing and learning what's working for them, what's not working for them and using really strong strategic relationships and conversations with real people to figure out where you can add the most value. Because I'm sure you've heard relationships are everything, but really relationships are everything when it comes to setting up your PMO. You start building those relationships in the very first stakeholder engagement opportunities to ask good probing questions. You wanna know the best way to get stakeholder buy-in and support? Actually interact with your stakeholders and fix what they want fixed. And guess what? They're going to support you because it's what they asked for. So the reason we often have stakeholder engagement problems and lack of buy-in is because we're shoving a bunch of things that they didn't ask for, they don't want, and they don't believe they need, even if we know they do, instead of actually getting to the root of what their pain is and solving that problem. And just to be super clear here, when I say go talk to your stakeholders about their pain points and what services they really want, That doesn't mean you go to them and say, what should the PMO do for you? Because you know what they're not experts in, what the PMO is supposed to do. But you know what they are experts in? Their own pain, their own experience, and the challenges they need help overcoming. So what I recommend is to actually get off of Google and go have some real conversations with people. Go have some one-on-one conversations with your stakeholders and let them do the talking. Stop trying to convince them of how great the PMO is going to be for them and just listen, ask good questions and peel back the layers of the challenges they're experiencing, where the opportunities are and what they want solved. Once you do that, you have a really cool opportunity to take the wins you have from fixing what they want solved and then educating them on where the real long-term improvements can come in because you're going to then solve what they actually need solved. Now, like I said, I love using Google to answer all the things, whether it's algebra, looking up a recipe, or figuring out where I want to go on my next vacation. It can also be a useful tool to gather information on PMOs, and it needs to be taken with a grain or maybe a pound of salt. You've got to understand that the people writing what they're writing may have a different perspective or be in different situations than the kind of situation you're dealing with in your organization. Nobody's going to be a better expert on how to solve the problem that your organization is dealing with than the people in your organization. And then when you get to the point where you're really trying to figure out, now what do I do? Or if you need help figuring out how to go about doing all of that assessment work and then use that to launch your building and running of your PMO, make sure you look for resources that guide you, give you guardrails, give you that step-by-step, but don't prescribe a certain type of PMO or a certain list of services that a PMO must have. No one can tell you that there is a right or wrong list of services or types for your PMO. The most valuable training will be the kind of education that helps you become smarter and become more capable of figuring it out. We can't tell you, those of us that have really been doing this PMO thing for a long time, 
we know better than to try and tell you the right type of PMO or the services it needs to have. But what we can teach you is the steps that you want to go through, the conversations you must have, the ways to engage your stakeholders most effectively, the ways to bring about organizational change most effectively, so that whatever that right PMO looks like in your organization, you have the knowledge, the skills, and the resources you need to take you step by step through that process to build the perfect PMO for your organization. Okay, that's it for today's episode. Before we go, if you would like my help with taking you step by step by step through how to ask the right questions, what the right questions to ask, and who to ask those questions of, as well as all of the other game-changing steps that I teach my students inside my Impact Engine PMO framework, then join me for my free one-hour training to learn the game-changing steps you need to build your perfect PMO. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Have a fantastic day, a high impact week. And if you love what you're hearing, make sure you follow this podcast and download the episode so you have them with you anywhere you are, whenever you want to learn more about making a big impact. Bye-bye for now.